regardless of what system they use, is develop a routine. Routine will set you free. And one of those routines is check your actual books, your 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 account keeping against your cash flow forecast every month. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice Podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the farm's advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. G'day and welcome to the Farms Advice podcast, David Edgerton Warburton. Great to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Good on you, Dave. And uh, thanks for getting it right. It's a hard name, isn't it, mate? Going by the back of your screen, you, you've got your podcast there as well. Do you want to just quickly introduce that before you introduce yourself? Yeah, no. So, well, unlike you, mine's mine's a bit smaller and a bit newer, but I tend to, our, I started a podcast what, a couple of years ago and it was really to talk business. So, you know, really focused on the business of farming and um, and anything to do with farm business, especially financial management and people and that sort of side of the business, as opposed to the production side of agriculture, which tends to be done pretty well by others. Um, yeah, boots off, uh, boots off. Log on is our podcast. So, and we release um, every second week. So, not as frequently as you, mate. But uh, yeah, you're probably in the better boat for it. But um, no, it's great to it's great to have you on the on here as another podcaster. Um, and it's great to have different podcasts around Australia covering different things. It's pretty good, and how you do it is different to how everyone else does it. Yeah, no, it is good. I, I actually really love it, and I. I just think when I was a farmer, geez, I would have loved to have done this. I spent so much time sitting around in my ute and my tractor and my header. And these days there's so much content that you can that you can consume. And from all different perspectives, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm actually a big podcast consumer as well. Yes, and I and um and I get inspired by so many different people, everything from I suppose nerdy stuff, like I love listening to the Economist podcast and yep. a guy out of the US. Um uh, and um, who does this one called the Knowledge Project? Who really talks around finance and business leaders? So, and all the normal health and wellness guys and girls. So, I, I'd love that. And and I think agriculture, you know, different perspectives like your perspective and my perspective and the guests we have. Even sometimes you and I have had a, a similar guest, but have a completely different conversation. And I really, and as a consumer of podcasts, I love that. Yeah, I think everyone's, I was thinking about that the other week or month. Um, everyone's got, if that one guest came on each podcast in agriculture in Australia, we'd all have a different angle of how to approach it. Um, not that we're trying to steal the information out of them a different way, but just how we get the different life experiences just for our own, how we've been brought up as well, I suppose. Yeah, and also different. So you're so for example, I'm an ex-farmer <laughs> and you're an active farmer. So the way we even approach the questions like so yeah. you actually your questions as a farmer are probably in some ways are a lot more current and relevant because you're you've like you said you've just come out of feeding sheep just then i haven't you know i haven't had my hands dirty for a long time you know um so you know you're going to have a very different perspective on the same the same thing absolutely well we better get into it yeah let's do it david introduce yourself your background connection how you wound up um and the very start of AgriMaster, tell us all. Yeah, definitely. So it's a bit of a long story. So I'm, I would say I'm a second generation in this business. My, um, so um, I had a fairly traditional upbringing to probably most people on ag. I'm a um, sixth generation sheep farmer from Cojanup in Southwest Western Australia. Um, went to boarding school like most people, ended up at uh, Muresk and did a, um, a Bachelor of Business majoring in um, and agribusiness and went back farming. Um, so that was like pretty much the same story as everyone else. But I grew up in a different family. My father um, um, started getting involved with the University of Western Australia when he started clearing his own land in 1967. So, um, and as a result, he ended up having computerized cash flow forecasting and accounting records since 1967, um, which is quite unusual for farm businesses. So, and that, and he's a nerdy guy, we're a pretty nerdy family. And so that drove his interest into computing. And eventually um, 
he bought himself a computer in 1980, which cost about four grand. It's like buying a $30,000 computer these days. And basically um, wanted to write a um, an application to essentially replicate the computer at Western Australia, which is a university of Western Australia, which is the whole building at the time. Um, and Agrimaster was born from that. It wasn't a great big, it's not like now, it wasn't like a startup idea. It was just a farmer who wanted to, to essentially manage his cash flow um, and his borrowing capacity and manage his accounts. Um, and probably it's different to most people in the industry. We were a cash flow modeling and forecasting product that's got an accounting product added onto it rather than the other way around. Yeah, right. So it's very much about, you know, he developed it really. So he was clearing land at the limit of his borrowing capacity. So how do I manage limited resources, cash flow and, and manage that? So, um, so I grew up in a family where I was farming. Well, well, when I eventually came home to the farm, you know, I was very lucky. I got to take over the farm business in 92 um, um, because my father had other things to do. He wanted to um, re completely rewrite um, AgriMaster at the point. Um, and he goes, oh, right, the farm's all yours. I'm full-time software development now. Um, and so that was pretty much that. And I was really much a user of the product in, you know, because I'd done my degree and, you know, I, like most people did a degree, I thought I was better than I actually was. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot by failing and wrecking stuff on the farm. Um, and then in the uh, mid, just after the mid nineties, um, we we're actually expanding, et cetera. And I met Nat. So Nat is my wife and also joint CEO of the business. And she used to be my bank manager, actually. And um, I met her while buying a farm. Um, and eventually, after we got married, um, they closed the branch, local branch in Kojanup. And so she was, because I'd trapped her in Kojanup, she suddenly couldn't go to a different branch. Um, so she had to find something to do with herself. And so she started working with my father to improve the training and the and the, what she found when she was in the bank is this capacity to do better books, like improve the way people were running their farm finance. So she started a business um, and that started getting bigger and we wanted to have a family. So we decided, okay, we either shut this business down or we make it bigger. So we decided to make it bigger. Um, and that was a training. We ended up with a national training business. So running off the farm out of, a, out of every room in our house, plus a demountable on the farm and running a... Um, this training business, training um, AgriMaster financial management, um, internet use, email use, all those things that were big in the 90s. And um, yeah, we had seven um, part-time staff um, running through Western Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, and uh, one in and Queensland as well, out of Toowoomba. Um, and eventually we um, accidentally became the biggest AgriMaster distributor because at the time my father had signed the distribution rights to a different software business. And um, so then we decided, okay, well, this is, seems silly. So we decided to, my father wanted to retire out of the software business. So we essentially absorbed his software business into our training and um, software support business and formed what is now AgriMaster. And that was in 2000. Um, and so I had to make the hard decision. I couldn't do all that and farming. So I quit farming and left my younger brother who'd come in halfway through that journey with me. Um, and he's done really well. Um, and Nat and I moved with our four-month-old son to Perth and started up a, a software business from scratch, really, um, and started hiring developers to start taking over from my father. So that that was um, 23 years ago. Quite the story, and you're probably an old ag tech, that buzzword that goes around. Do you consider yourself as ag tech or is it a bit more technology um, in the industry. Yeah, I, I think ag tech seems to be, you know, all the buzz at the moment, but I can remember growing up. So yeah, I'd say we're a 40 year old ag tech business, but I think they've only really been branded as ag tech businesses very lately. So even when my father was writing software, the, there was a massive community of farmers writing software. So, um, um, so you and I offline were talking about competitors and all sorts of other stuff, right? And all those people, were farmers. So the guys, so all the people we've either worked with or competed against for the last 40 years are all farmers who've written software. Yeah. Um, so, um, so it's, it's really interesting. So most of, so for example, AgriMaster, I think my father said when he was selling AgriMaster or he wasn't selling it, but the company that was selling it in the eighties, 
there was 25 other ag accounting products being sold in the market at the time that had been written by farmers. Um, so there was a massive ag tech market. And so there was this, so in the 80s and early 90s, there was heaps of people writing products similar to, well, yeah, they're all sort of sort of similar to AgriMaster. Um, there was a lot of people writing um, paddock management applications. Some some are still around, like the big ones, like um, Paddock Action Manager or Ag Commander by Roger Weiss. We, there was one called Pinpoint that was amazing. There was um, there's a few guys out of um, New Zealand. So there was there was a massive um, ag software industry we used to call it. Um, it wasn't like it is now. So you didn't have essentially. Um, well, this is pre-internet a lot of it. So you didn't have IoT or the sensor tech that you have now. So the the data, and it tends to be very much um, PC-based at all. So it wasn't, so the cloud has made a massive difference to that. Yeah, and so now it's a SaaS product, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a SaaS product these days. But it, in the early days, it was just like most software at the time used to buy a disk and you used to send you out a CD and you put it in and we'd send you a little bit of paper with a logo on it with a license key that you used to type in. And yeah, so we used to stick our CDs on the back of newsletters. So we used to send out an update four times a year and we used to have the whole office sitting in the boardroom sticking uh, <laughs> CDs on the back of newsletters and shipping them out. So all the customers listening to this will remember those days. Old school. So let's get into a few questions that I'm keen to know a little bit about. Cash flow forecasting, you mentioned a little bit about that. Um, why is it so important for our budgeting to control this to be a successful farm business? Yeah, look, definitely. So cash flow forecasting is really, so everyone likes to, I think the the, the common thing is it's something that the bank asks for. Yep. So the reason being is it's what you're all we're really trying to do as a farm business and whether that be a farm, any business really, but in particular farm businesses, you have a large amount of capital that you have to essentially put at risk every year. And what you're trying to do is maximize the productivity or return on that capital every year while managing the downside, really. So you're making this strategic decision. How am I going to spend this labor, this cash, this debt? to maximize return but at the same time you're we're, we're as farm businesses or isn't it's definitely a farm business you have a lot of market risk and you have a lot of production risk so you've got about a to manage that risk and it changes like we, well, we just found this week look what's happened in russia with the with the grain so it's you get the so cash flow forecasting i've always believed is the most critical cash flow modeling and budgeting which i see so i i call them it differently so budgeting i believe is just allocation of known things right so whereas forecasting is all the unknown stuff like grain prices yield those sort of things so forecasting and budgeting is the most effective way to allocate those resources well and also it's the least risky way of testing whether you're right or not. So let's say, for example, so a good cash flow forecast is not something you do for the bank. It's actually the financial um, copy of your production plan. So you've got a production plan. I'm going to plant this much grain, this many sheep, this many cattle, et cetera. But ultimately, the successful failure of that is really just measured in dollars, um, yeah. whether that be over an annual period, over a five-year period, whatever the rotation is, right? So the two should match. Your model of your cash flow should match your production. So what you don't know is it's really risky to make big changes in your actual production model because there's a lot of unknowns. But you can model those changes in your financial. If they match, you can go, what if um, we didn't get rain until end of June? What would happen? Okay, well, let's predict we've got a yield drop here. We do that. What does that do to my cash flow? Can I handle that? Do I have enough capacity? What if I did this instead? So you can game plan pretty much anything in your business using a good cash flow model. And you can do as many as you might want as those. They're quick. They don't cost you nothing except a few hours in the office. And they lower the risk of actually having to do that. So essentially, you've got a bunch of game plans before you actually put a one boot on dirt. So, And I think that's probably, I think, the most underrated um advantage of that and and i think it's it's we do we sort of do the whole financial thing at agrimaster but i regard i'd say 
if I had a weighting, the cash flow forecasting modeling and all the management around that, I would say is probably, I'd say two thirds of the importance of the whole thing. I'd say the accounting part is, is, is even less than probably a quarter of the importance of anything. You're right. Is it quite similar to like for the cash flow forecasting, like within the shares game, you've got your unrealized losses or unrealized gains and realized once you're in that unrealized, you haven't sold your shares or such, like with your crop, mm. once it's in the ground, you're just trying to bring that level up or gain that information. Is that what it is? Yeah. So, so essentially, I mean, farming is, uh, is like anything. It's really just, um, yield times price equals essentially uh, a margin, and then you take all your overheads off that. So the two really big, and costs. So you got your variable costs. So you, so in order to essentially, what we're doing is we're putting a recipe together. If I plant this much at this yield at this price and have this cost base, I'm going to have this much left over. So it is a lot like shares, and they go, okay, what if the yield went up? or down? What if the price went up or down? Or what if, for example, in the last few years, fertilizer and chemical prices has gone to the roof? How does that affect my margin? What it allows you to do is go, okay, what if I change just one of those things? Yeah. Where would my break-even point be? For example, I could dare to say, if I sat in a room with a hundred farmers and asked them where their break-even point. Now, what I mean by break-even point in this, in a really crude sense, is at what point will you recover all of your input costs this year so you can live to play another year, right? Nobody would know. Maybe one out of 100 would know that, right? So what this information initially gives you is that. It says, okay, I need to set it, this yield, I need to sell grain at this price. I'm using grain as an industry here to get all my money back. So anything above that is plus. So it allows you, when do I need to say hedge and when do I need to speculate? So, for example, at the moment, grain prices are going through the roof, right, because of the Ukraine crisis. But you can't hedge everything because, like you said, none of it's realised yet. So that if it fails, you'll be in a speculative position and then you can get into trouble. But what it does is you make that decision with knowledge. You're not guessing. There's no – and I think this is what it does is to – there's enough risk in farming already without having to guess about money. And – it's you can't control there's so much you can't control in farming you can't control when it rains you can't control um you can't control commodity price you can but you can control when you sell you can control how much um, capital you put to a crop you can control when you spend your money and how you spend your money you can control your cash flow to a certain extent so i think what i'm saying here with cash flow management it is one thing you can have a lot of control over um whereas you can't with a lot of us and it can help mitigate a lot of the other risks. Why is it that you said like zero or even one per one farmer out of a hundred um, knows what their break even point is like, there must be a bit of a collective um, trend there for why farmers, or is it just because we haven't had the access to the information or we're not drawing on it? What's. Oh, I don't think it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's a, I think it's just a capacity to work it out. I think, I th it's not an intelligence thing or a, no, 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 no. It, 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 not, no, you know what I mean? It's just, a, it's just, a, they don't have the tool. They, there's no, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, um, I'll, okay. So here's what I reckon all of us humans are pretty lazy, right? We do as little as possible to get the job done. Yeah. Okay. As, and, and where most of us are gunners, we're going to do this. It's like, for example, I'll give you a really good example, a budget actual comparison report, right? Let's say you have a, an accounting system. That just as an accounting system, it's fine, it does the job, you do your bass, et cetera, et cetera. And you want to do a cash flow on a spreadsheet. And you know that you want to do a budget to actual comparison report once a month just to make sure you're on track with your spending and your cash flow and everything's going fine. All you have to do is export the data out of one system, type it into Excel, and get a comparison. Yeah. Right. The fact that you have to do that means you won't do it <laughs> because you go, I'll do it on Friday. And then you get to Friday. Oh, I'm so Sorry, excuse me. You just say, I'm so tired on Friday. All right, I'll do it on Saturday morning, right? You just don't. And then a week goes past, the months goes by, and six months you haven't done one. So what I find with all these things, if you can't work out something at like your break-even or your budget actual comparison or compare one enterprise against the other with a push of a button, you know, unless there is a percentage of people who will do that because they're just that person, 
but most of us will just will just kick the can down the road. And I think that's 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 actually the only role of software. So software is not very clever stuff, right? It it just automates an existing process. So nothing we do at Agrimaster or even our competitors, there's nothing new. We're just we're just automating a process that you already do or you want to go through or you should go through and we just make it easier so you'll actually do it yeah exactly and i think um well farmers mostly they get out early go out do their jobs come back home um and they're usually pretty buggered after a big day they're not looking for this so to make that a little bit easier for them um one hit of the button and they can actually see um and Hopefully they can be inspired at where their break-even point is off that and how their season's pairing out as well. Yeah, and also a benchmark. So a lot of people, um, you know, for example, the other thing, uh, Jack, is your your actual finance. A lot of people record their their books or their bookkeeping or their accounts for the tax department, right? And I'd say don't, I mean, you have to do that, right? But that's not who you should do it for. For example, you want to know where you're at, right? So how do you know that, right? So the information you record to do your tax return or a BAS is not going to help your farming, right? But if you recorded, you know, what part of your enterprise was against, whether you allocated it to what type of chemical or livestock or machine or whatever, that's useful stuff. So what happens is when you come to next year, you can actually benchmark yourself off yourself. You don't have to go to an external benchmark or anything. You've got your own benchmarks. So just tiny little things like that make a big difference to the knowledge you have as a farmer going forward every year. And it, it does, it's not extra work. It's just, you know, just um, recording another couple of bits of detail when you have to type in the accounts in that you do already. Yeah, exactly. Not leaving it to the bare minimum of your buzz every quarter as well. And, and the tax return to get in there and have a yarn before you need to talk about the end of the year. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the, I think the best way to view tax, right? Super important. Minimize it as much as you can. Hire a really good accountant, right? But it's not farm management. Tax is not farm management. You know, farm management is farm management. And financial management is not tax. So, you know, I would encourage people to have a really smart tax accountant, to have a really good tax plan, all that stuff, right? But when it comes to managing your farm finances, you manage it for your farm business and not for tax, yep. right? And in fact, if you have a tax problem, that's awesome. <laughs> um, everybody wants a tax problem. So it's just looking at it from a different perspective because I think a lot of us have just been brought up to think it's something you have to do yeah. um, for somebody else. Um, I always think that people, I think the reason people resent book work is the fact that they don't get the benefit from it. You know, if you're doing book work just to do a tax return or a BAS, then of course it's resentful. For someone else, yeah. It's for someone else. Do it for yourself, yeah. That's a good one. I like it. And also how the market's sort of going, there's a lot of properties being sold because they're getting quite good money for it and mm. there's money flowing around. But lenders, you said earlier, um, like they're looking for more information of mm. the farmers to see if they could back that um, or whether or not that's going to play out in their favour in the seasons. How do financial control and cash forecasting work into this and make funding the best outcome? Yeah, look, I think I, I get this question a lot when I'm talking to farmer groups is, so one of the questions I get is, what, David, what do banks want, right? And I was going, well, it's pretty simple, really. I say, okay. Imagine you had sold your farm, right? Land prices are big. You've just got an offer you can't refuse. You've sold your farm and you've got, I don't know, you're sitting on five to $10 million in your house, um, wherever you live. And your ex-neighbor comes up to you and goes, hey, Jack, I want to buy the farm next door. And how about you invest in me, right? How can I borrow $4 million off you? What questions are you going to ask that neighbor, right? You're going to go, okay, I want to know, can you, are you a good farmer? right? And how are you going to tell that? I want to see your your yields for the past 10 years. I want to see what price you've achieved. You're going to say, I want to see a cash flow and I want to see a cash flow for not a, um, and 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 everybody you lend money off knows this. I know when you're actually telling a, a white lie, right? I don't want to see the, the, the magic scenario. I want to see a pretty year in, year out, right? And I want to see what it looks like when it's a bad year. Because I know that, if, I know that area and you're going to have a bad year one in five or one in two right so show me that as well 
And I want to know, how are you managing your finances? Are you, doing your, are you reconciling your books every week? Do you check your cash flow every month, right? So every time your neighbor passes one of those milestones, you go, oh, he's a bit less risk. Well, she's a bit less risk, risk right? And so you're going to be more competitive on your margin. So banks are the, no different. They're just lending money at risk to you. Um, they, and they, don't, they make their money through interest. Um, and they, because they sell money, they want to sell you as much money as they can possibly sell you because that's how they make money, right? Um, so if they don't want to give it to you, that's a pretty, not a good sign because they really want to give it to you. <laughs> um, so the best way to think is they just have to balance their risk. So the best way cash flow forecasting and financial management and doing scenario analysis with your cash flow and everything, it just presents you as a much lower risk to them as a bank. And, and if you're, if you present as a low risk, then they can be more competitive on rate and margin and those sorts of things. But if you, uh, if you go, well, I've just let my accountant do my books and I do a cash flow on a spreadsheet once a year, just to keep you guys happy. And I do my books once a month. And I think the whole thing's a load of rubbish. Yeah. You're going to pay a lot more than the other for the next person. Yeah. And if you get a jump start on your accountant, Rather than the accountant feeding on the information to your banker, you actually get in there and um, sort of square away, square away like that you're not this financial risk and you've got these sort of processes in place. What would be like the sort of key elements um, that you would sort of gather as a farmer going to look for funding? Okay. So first of all, a minimum 24-month cash flow, right? So just minimum, right? So... Um, especially if you're an industry with a longer um, selling tail like grain that, you know, so you sell grain tenderly over usually about 18 months plus. So, but 24 months is good. I would keep that and, and I would keep that rolling. So, you know, so if you're, if you've got a lot of core debt, like you've bought a property, five-year cash flow. Now they don't have to be at detail. Literally it's just do a really good detail one year and you copy it forward. And the, and the level of detail doesn't have to be as deep at year three or two as it does in year one, because when you get into that year, you can tighten it up a bit. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is a, have a really good, keep a really good farm production history. So what that means, it doesn't have to be a whole application, right? You don't have to keep, you know, that I sprayed, you know, um, 800 mils of glyphosate on the front paddock and the wind direction was picked. No, you just need to know, I grew this many tons of grain over this many hectares um, of these grades, of these prices over a five to 10 year period. Same with your sheep, same with your wool, same with your beef um, meat yield. Um, and talk in the context of margins per hectare, not per head. So for example, a, a, a bank doesn't care that you grew uh, six kilos of wool. It wants to know how many kilos of wool per hectare you grew. Yeah. And it wants to know the gross margin per hectare on that wool enterprise or that beef enterprise. So if you, if you're talking money, you've got to talk in the context, what, you know, this production means this because, so for example, um, they will check against, so what happens is um, if I was a bank or as a banker, they'll be looking for ground truthing. They want to look at the, does this pass the sniff test? And first of all, they'll look at things like cost of production per hectare. They'll look at um, what yield forecast you do. So try and so production history is really important. Have the have the cash flow model, your actual production model, and also be able to explain it. So the biggest challenge I find when I talk to bankers is that their potential customer can't explain the cash flow because someone else created it. So, and that to them has got alarm bells written all over it. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's been very well done. Um, and it's got a lot of supporting data, but the customer doesn't understand it. Yeah. And they're the ones who have to live it <laughs> and execute on it. So even if you do, and I, and I think this is great, if you get an advisor to help you build a great model, I mean, even with Agrimaster, we have hundreds of advisors who build cash flow models for clients in Agrimaster, right? But make sure you understand it. Make before you go to the bank, you be able to explain your way through it. And the other thing I would always take to a bank is if if they want to know not what it's like in the best year, they want to know you can, they're going to get their money from you in the worst year. 
So go to them and go, I've modeled the worst year. This is what it looks like. Yeah. And this is what we're going to do if that year happens, because it's not a question of if, it's just when. So you know it's going to happen. It's happened in the past. So model it out. Um, it's good for your mental health too, because you know you can handle it if it comes. Absolutely. And like rolling out those scenarios like helps you with your mental capacity, um, not feeling overwhelmed by if that actually does turn. But I had a question in, like once you do have this, maybe you get approved um, for like you've had all these processes. Is there ways to follow up and ensure that you are actually optimizing like per hectare, not for the head um, and what your fleece count is? Yeah, and keep those records. So yep. when you look at your stuff, like just when you, um, so especially with livestock enterprises tend to be the most prone to getting this wrong yep. is whenever you do numbers, don't worry about your per head um, stuff like your, you know, so essentially livestock. So a grain enterprise is pretty simple. It's just kilos per or tons per hectare times yield. If you view, start viewing your livestock enterprise like a cropping enterprise, in other words, you're growing, you're a pasture grower and you harvest it with beef or you harvest it with sheep or whatever, at the end of the day, think of it as tons per hectare, kilos of beef per hectare, kilos of wool per hectare, kilos of meat per hectare, right? And obviously there's all the quality stuff around that. Um, as soon as you approach everything from that, it will change the way you look at that enterprise. So, for example, costs especially if you're part of an extra, if you buy a benchmarking report, it'll all be reported in return per hectare. Yeah. So one of the things you'll notice, for example, is you'll go, wow, there's a there's a livestock enterprise near me who's making a lot more money. And you go, oh, wow, they're growing sort of similar to me. But their cost per DSE, that's another one, dry sheep equipment, their cost per DSE is half mine. Why is that? Okay, well, they've got much better past utilization or whatever. So if you start viewing everything within your business in that context, um, I think you'll also be able to, um, you'll suddenly see areas of improvement yep. that you didn't see before. Um, it's not as good when you're talking. It's, it's not as good socially um, because, um, you know, it, it's a different language. But um, it is pretty important. But when you said a comparison, when you said comparison before, I'd say the most important thing is 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 measurement. So one of the biggest pushbacks against things like cash flow forecasting, budgeting, financial control is the fact of change. And people go, well, if I do this, it's going to change. That doesn't matter. And I said, the whole point is it's a process, not an end game. In other words, you don't do it once, you do it multiple times. So with our clients, I always recommend you build a cash flow, for example, and you measure it against your accounts or your actual accounts every month. And then you look for any changes. What's happened? Has this gone up? Has that gone down? And you make adjustments. So for example, now all the forecasts you made on grain prices when you built your cash flow, say in February, are now wrong. So you actually have to change your forecast because um, let's say you bought fertilizer at... Um, <laughs> you, you might, you bought fertilizer forward last year thinking you're going to get a good price and now it's dropped. So things change so much, don't they? So I think the thing is, is once you do these things, is your financial management, one thing I'd really encourage people, regardless of what system they use, is develop a routine. Routine will set you free. And one of those routines is check your actual books, your 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 account keeping against your cash flow forecast every month. If it's a small change, like you decide to sell your steers last month rather than this month or something, that's fine. Just move that around. Or, for example, you're what are we now? End of June, and and you maybe haven't got the moisture you want, or it's got colder than you thought, or whatever. You might. You might go, oh, maybe I'll um, revise my yield down half a ton and see what that looks like. Um, and the other thing banks love about that is that the one thing they hate is emergency October over overdrafts. Um, so, but because most people know if they did a revision of their accounts, that that's probably going to be necessary. They're probably going to know in July that in October they're going to need that extra fifty grand, and they can go to the bank three months early and go. Oh, you know, um, you know, Sue, it's looking a bit um, short in October. Can we extend the overdraft out 50 grand? 
this year? And she goes, oh, good, show it, send us to the revised cash flow and yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. So that's another thing about review, you know, that relationship with your bank, you know, it's not adversarial that, you know, they're, they're, they're in it. They're an investor in your business. So just, if you do a review and say three months out, this is what my cash flow is looking like, they'll be going, yeah, cool. Yeah. Is one month the sort of cadence that you look towards to review this as like sort of um, best practice? Yeah, I think best practice is one month. Now, some months that's going to take 10 minutes because nothing will change. Some months, so what I'd say, it's not the same amount of time every month, but at least do it once a month. Like I, I would say, if you're one of those people, there's a few things. I would, here's best practice, reconcile your books like enter all your accounts and reconcile your books every week, yep. right? One, it keeps you in touch of what's happening, right? It just keeps your finger on that pulse, right? And it breaks what is can be a mundane task for some people into tiny little chunks. Like if you just say every Friday at this time or every Wednesday afternoon, I'm just going to do it, right? It's never a big deal. So by the time you get into the month, getting the bass out and everything's a five-minute job, Right. Once a month, just do a budget actual comparison report and look for any big anomalies. There might be none, right? So literally I do it and I just run my finger down the page and go, and I just look for anything that material. So if you're a massive farm business, material might be 10 grand. If you're a small business, it might be a thousand bucks. So it's, it's up to you, right? And then it might be, so you run down and you go, God, why have we blown out by 10 grand here? And you go, oh yeah, we didn't sell that wool when that, you know, and then you go, oh fine, we'll just shift the cash flow. Or wow, we should pay attention to that, right? So, and then um, and then I'd say in certain points within your business, do a deeper, a deeper. so do that cash flow comparison, just the, the money one, but also look forward and back. So what assumptions did I make in January or February that are no longer true? So have a look at the forward grain market, have a look at the forward beef market, have a look at what's happening with fertilizer prices, have a bit of a global view and go, okay, do my assumptions that I made going forward still hold true? For example, at the moment, is there opportunities in grain that I didn't have in February that I might be able to do now? For example, if your soil moisture is looking good and you can secure some forward sales on grain, you might go, well, it might be worth putting on extra nitrogen in this year. Okay, can I get nitrogen? So you might be able to make that decision early yeah. and get a better pricing on it. So there's these, so it's not just a cash flow review, but a little, it's set yourself this at least a quarterly routine or not quite quarterly. You're not a, not a small business, not, you're not a, a urban business, but let's say pre-seeding, post-seeding, sort of mid-spring, pre-harvest, those sort of routines yep. and do a bit more of a global sort of market review and production review, you know, soil moisture, those sort of things. Beautiful. There should be a few lenders listening in to this as well. So it'd be good for them to hear what the farmers will be getting up to each month now. Um, <laughs> to maximize our profit and like the financial risk, we all know that it's pretty risky within the farming game mm -hmm. coming up against the environment. What systems are we putting in place um, to maximize the profit and to reduce the financial risk, I suppose? I think the first thing is, so the way I look at it, is like most farmers do start with best practice production. I think if I look at all the best farmers that I've, I've had. So one thing about leaving farming and be doing this business is I get exposed to, I get to experience the best farmers in the country, which is, it's almost like free education. And one of the things they all do really well is they do production pretty much the same as everyone else. In other words, their, their cost per hectare. I mean, they're, you know, then they don't grow necessarily tons of more wheat than anyone else or have extraordinarily more wool or better wool or better beef or whatever. They, I would say best practice production is table stakes. In other words, being a good, whatever you are, beef, chickens, wheat, whatever. Yeah. Being best practice, that's table stakes, right? But um, how you deploy your money and use your money can make a massive difference. Um, so... And it's often overlooked. You can't often grow your way, you know, produce your way out of problems, but you can often, um, you can actually finance your way out of problems. So, for example, um, some people, for example, have this concept of, okay, so they'll, they won't go for gold every year. They will 
set in place a forecast that is, for example, I won't put on, so now it's quite typical, for example, not to put on all your nitrogen up front to deploy it later. For example, if you're a grain business, one, it controls a bit of that risk. So um, one of the things is now is they want to, you want to maximize return, but minimize risk. So where are my risks? Okay. So if I put it all on red and go for a spin, some years I'm going to go gangbusters and some years I'm going to lose my shirt, right? And so what happens is the next year you've got to make up all those losses. So what about, how about I go for, um, instead of going for gangbusters, I go for one or two levels below that, but in a bad year, I'm not going to lose anything. So you sort of like profit, break even, profit, break even. So it's a different way of viewing it. And that's a financial control. So in other words, let the money tell the truth rather than the yield. So for example, my question to people, I said, if you could make money by growing half the amount of whatever you grow, if you make, could you make, let's say you're a lamb producer or a grain grower. And I said, if you grew half the amount you grow now, made double the money, would you do it? And they go, yeah, well, it's not about production then, is it? So it's, you know, production's a pretty good proxy, right? You, you know, it's not, it's, it's not wrong. Um, but if you wanted to have really strong, um, so what I'd say, start off with a, so to keep it simple, keep, start off with a really good production plan and get advice on that and, and really do best practice. So whether that be cost production, whatever, have a financial model. So what I mean by model is, so it's not a budget. So it's not a um, spreadsheet, right? So, you know, $30,000 worth of grain in whatever, December. It's, how many, so it's essentially it's like a little spreadsheet. So it's like a a model is really, these are all the grains I'm growing. This is how many hectares I'm planting. This is my yield assumption. This is how I'm going to sell it, et cetera. What that means, and that models exactly what you've planted, whether that be sheep, grain, cattle, chickens, doesn't matter. So what that means is it exactly matches your production. So what that means is you can go along and say, you can change one number like yield or price and it completely remodel it. So you can you can actually keep the two modeled together, right? And so, so have a production plan, have a, a financial model that matches that. Then do your accounts, like I said, to record what's actually happening. So farming, unlike, say, a shop or a manufacturing business, doesn't have a... So a lot of shops can use something like a small business product, like a Myob or something like that, because they record all the detail in a point-of-sale product. Farmers don't do that. So you need to record the detail in your books. So when you do your books, record um, uh, what farm it's on, what enterprise it's in, wheat enterprise, grain enterprise, sheep enterprise, et cetera. Um, record against which, record quantities, always record quantities. If you talk to any advisor, any bank, they want quantities. So if you put in sale of um, wieners, put in, you know, yellow taggers, this many, et cetera. You put in the whole lot. So then when you go into your books later, you can go, how do we sell sheep? And you go, oh, well, we sold, you know, a thousand yellow taggers at this price. And then you suddenly you've got a price per head. Yep. So when you record your accounts, record them like you're going to report on them. <laughs> um, yeah. Now you've got GST in there. So one of the reports, one of the reports will be tax. The rest of them are about you. So do your production plan, have a financial model that matches that, have a set of management accounts that you record detail in that actually is your truth against that, that you can measure the two against. So essentially you've got the three together and that will keep you have good financial control of your business. Well, hopefully this spurs on a few farmers to start thinking a little bit about themselves um, to get back into the books and nerd out on a few things. But you, we glazed over it a little bit before Going in with the environments and actually budgeting for that, like we came off a pretty good two years, very wet, mind you, but like it turned a lot drier quicker than we mm. thought, especially on the East Coast from my experience. Um, how does this all work and how can budgeting sort of be a tool for us to improve that off the reaction from the environment? Yeah. So you know what it is? I think we are talking before a little bit about um, doing those scenarios. So one of the things about scenarios is it allows you to make an objective decision when 
you're not stressed. So let's say, for example, you did have that dry finish. When that dry finish happens, suddenly all the things you had thought to be true are falling down, right? So you get really stressed. And if we're any of us in that situation, we tend to make rush decisions or not great decisions. We we sell things cheaper than we want to. We buy things for more expensive than we should pay. We make all these really dumb decisions. So let's say, for example, you had that dry finish. I would just open my 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 model, my worksheets for that enterprise. Um, so was this? Let's say it was great, right? Let's keep it really simple, right? I would go, okay, what do I think that dry finish? Now, that could be a dry finish. It could be a frost. It could be rust. It could be any situation like that in spring that's going to have a yield effect. I would just go along, say I forecasted uh, three and a half tons. I'd go, okay, I reckon that's going to probably have an impact of a ton. So just type that into your, and then it'll recalculate your whole cash flow. And you go, okay, that creates a $200,000 hole in my cash flow. Okay, yes, that's bad. Does it affect me from a borrowing capacity point? For example, does it blow out my peak debt at all, right? Or, so that's your first scenario. Do I need to call the bank and go, okay, maybe not going to, you know, go as well as I thought. Second thing is how do I minimize that loss, right? Let's say, for example, it was a frost. So am I better to just suck that up and, you know, whatever, and just harvest less grain? At, at, you know, shrunken barley or whatever, or am I better to bail, cut it for hay and bale it up? Yeah. Now, that's a decision you just can't instinctively make. You don't know. So I would actually create, I would copy that model and put X hect, 500 hectares, cut it to hay, put all your contractor costs in, da 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 da. What's the hay price at the moment, et cetera, and go, what does that look like as a gross margin as opposed to um, just harvesting it? And then compare the two and then actually make an objective decision. Do I do this or do I do that? So what it's doing is it doesn't make the problem go away. It just helps you by looking at the financial side of it quickly um, to make the best of a bad situation is, is this the best thing. For example, you might decide, okay, I've got to, uh, with livestock, it's, uh, am I better to feed them or am I better to sell them? Yeah. Right? So, for example, again, I think if you've ever read any books on psychology, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, that's probably the best on it. Humans are proved to be really bad. We're just so bad at making these judgments. We're just, we think we're good. We're just not, right? So it makes you sit down and try and make an objective decision. So you actually make the best of a bad situation. And this is what a model can do. You can quickly, you don't have to create it from scratch. You can just copy it, change a few numbers. Oh, yeah, I think. I think selling's better than feeding or feeding's better than selling, et cetera. If I was to ever write a book or do like a Nuffield course or something like that, I'd go across the world and go into the psychology of farmers and what happens when we make decisions at the wrong time or something. Cause it would happen um, more often than not. We sort of leave it to the last minute, then drought, uh, the D word comes a little bit quicker than you thought. And then you're under pressure. Um, you panic yeah. or you hold on to them all not needing to. 100% agree with you. If you walk into our office, we've got this big mural on our wall. And the first thing you have, it's got a sheet sitting there with a, a speech bubble coming out of it. And it says, hope is not a strategy. Yeah. Um, And that's probably, I'd say, I, that would be my thing I'd put on the front of every farm gate or every farm office, right? So it's this, it's this, I think this is not just a farm thing. This is a human thing. We yeah. don't want to acknowledge what the worst part of anything, isn't it? So, if I went to every farmer and I go, have you had an absolute wipeout year? They go, oh, yeah, that was 2000 and blah, right? And they go, what did it look like? Look like this. How many of those have you had? Oh, we had one in 2008. We had one here. We had, I mean, the East Coast had 10 years of dry. You know, everyone knows what that looks like. And I go, well, why don't you think it's going to be this year? Yeah. Right? So plan for it. Just, you know, it's going to happen. It's not like a mystery. <laughs> Right. And and I think that's probably another bit of advice is yes, build your cash flow that you is the most likely. I call it the green lights. Imagine if you're in a for me, a city dweller now, it's going to work with all green lights. That's what most people's cash flow looks like, right? You're not going to get all green lights. One year you're going to get all red lights. What does that cash flow look like? Yeah. And can you still survive? And if you can't, can you make different decisions? 
for example, maybe you might change your enterprise mix. Let's say you said, if I had that dry year now, I'd be buggered. Let's say that's the worst case scenario. Okay. Well, I don't have to be buggered. What can I do? Well, maybe I should probably um, keep a bit more stock this year and a bit less grain. Or I don't know. What I mean is play with the mix so at least you have a strategy if that year eventuates. And, and I can guarantee then you'll just feel prepared. It's like you're pre-gaming it. If you feel normal, it's probably a good thing. You don't have to. Farmers are probably are prepared to feel a bit panicky, a bit jumpy um, with the markets as they go or the environment coming in, mm. either good or bad, um, jumping for rain or looking for rain, one of those things. So I was actually, I was feeding sheep the other day and I was like, I wonder if farmers, like farms, are actually, they're running the wrong commodity. I was, I was thinking about mm. it's like, if we cropped all of this, more equipment and all that, obviously, but I was wondering, like, should those largest play scenarios, should they be a thing or is it a bit too far? Like, if we you got similar ones, you, you sheep, your cattle, um, and then going into cropping or even obviously diversifying into horticulture, but if it was all your farm was a cropping enterprise, should that be something we looked at? Or is it something that, from your experience, people are looking at running these sort of larger scenarios? You know, I tend to find that sort of innovation comes almost from what I call new farmers. Like, um, I think we get so stuck into what we're good at. And I think it's how we identify. I'm a sheep farmer. I'm a cattle farmer. I'm a grain farmer, right? But no, you just have a chunk of land. You have a bunch of resources. You have land. You have water. You have people, you have skills, et cetera, right? Now, I, I always like to like the way I try and do a thought experiment in my head is imagine if we just had a village. We had a little village, right? And they wanted food. I wouldn't go, I would grow whatever that village wanted. I wouldn't grow. So we're, we're so detached from our markets now. The signals are really mixed, right? So I always thought, for example, um, Let's say, for example, you go up into the tropics of Australia. Why are we, you see all these failed experiments of people trying to grow cotton and oh, we, all these weird, like these European foods in the tropics. And I go, well, why don't we grow all the food that they grow in Asia in our tropics? Because it's actually, and sell it back into Asia. Why are we trying to grow, you know, food from the dry part of Europe in the tropics? You know, I agree with you. I think. If you see yourself as a producer of, say, I don't know, energy, uh, human energy, like food, um, it also helps you get through the debate around what we're seeing so much changes in food at the moment. So let's go with a, a really gnarly one, meat, right? Every time I go to a farm conference, someone's going to get up and talk about alternative meats, right? And the whole audience just gets frothy about it, right? And I'm going, well... God, I'm just sitting there going, wow, I wonder what they need, yeah. right? So if I'm selling Beyond Burgers and they use barley, shit, I'm going to grow barley, you know? <laughs> I'm going to switch from beef to barley because everyone's going to be growing food-based burgers, you know? So it's more about what does, what, you know, and it's am I willing to change from a beef farmer to a, a whatever farmer, yeah. you know? So, so where's the, what food does the world want rather than what food do I want to grow? Um, and more of a context. And I think it's exactly like this. It may be exactly what you're doing today. Yeah. All right. Or you might run it. I'll give you a really good example. My brother has a massive business growing everlastings. Like he's a, he's a grain farmer and he grows a lot of grain and he has about 15,000 merinos, but he has a really big everlastings business. So that just came out of an experiment. I, I think he'd be better to interview about it, but essentially- as in, you know, the the pink flowers, the pink everlasting flowers you see on nature strips all over the urban areas. Yep. Yep. And, um, they're really big in um, the the Midwest of Western Australia as well. So he grows, um, so he has this massive everlastings business and that just came about. So he was just had one of his paddocks, clean it up. Someone gave him some seeds one day. So he top dressed them out in this paddock and harrowed them in and grew this, a hectare of them and then, he goes, and at that point in time, everybody's half harvesting everlastings with by hand. So he got an old sun, an old um red massy header out of the back of the behind the sheds and fixed it up and started harvesting. So now he, you know, he he essentially 
he seeds with an air seeder, harvests them with a mainstream header. And these are like wildflowers. Um, so, and farmers are really good at this stuff. You think of all the inventions you see. Yeah. Um, so I, I, and I'd fully encourage people to do that with food as well. Like if you can grow some weird vegetable or grain that no one, else, oh, John Foss with chia seed. Yeah. That was enough. He was a, that was Nuffield. He, um, uh, good one to interview if you haven't interviewed John. Um, I think he got, he found, he came across chia seed when he was in South America on a Nuffield scholarship yeah. and, and worked out at the grow on the 15th parallel. Um, and so he goes, so started up growing, getting some chia seed and growing it out in um, Kununurra. Um, and the whole world just loves chia seed now after. Is that where it started from? Yeah. You're right. So he's a, he's a wheat, wheat, wheat farmer boy from Western Australia. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of great stories like that, Nag. I understand, and like to do your business as well, coming from farmers' backgrounds, the best businesses within agriculture sort of servicing back to farmers were farmer-led um, to begin with, which is great to see because like you sort of know the industry, you know the language, um, it's much easier especially as well. David, if you could wrap this up, this episode up into one piece of farm's advice for farmers to take away um to do that tiny bit extra to be on the front foot um going to looking for more funding or to get better cash flow um to improve their budgeting skills what would that be i would say look really put a put time aside not prioritize but put time aside to get really good at financial management don't outsource it don't you know certainly surround yourself with good advice accountants consultants those sort of people but own it, own your finances, get to know it well. Um, it will bring you not only um, a better business, I can guarantee you'll have a better business, right? But it'll actually, more importantly, bring you peace of mind. If I talk to our customers who do, especially cash flow forecasting and modeling, and they do it well, I'm talking more than a spreadsheet, proper models, um, they get a massive peace of mind from it because you doesn't matter whether it's a good year or a bad year, knowing where you stand every month brings you peace of mind and calm and it gives you options. Yep. So yeah, put time aside, um, put time aside to learn it, to get good at it and create a routine around it that you'll stick to um, routine. Again, like I said, the routine will set you free and you'll feel really empowered by it. So when you engage with all the advisors, whether they be bankers or accountants or farm advisors or whatever, you'll do it on your terms because you'll know your business better than anyone else. Yep. A great piece of farm's advice. Um, and where do you see 2023 going? And where do you see AgriMaster? Where would you like it to be in 10 years' time? Oh, I'm like everybody, Jack, you know, global domination. So I, I, I think um, we're going to continue what we're doing. We're right in the middle of a whole new product at the moment, which is is our vision for essentially farm financial management going forward. You know, we've been doing this for 40 years. We think we're really focusing on the next 40 years, but we're doing it one year at a time. So we're building a whole new product at the moment that's going to hopefully um, really improve, you know, make what we do, which tends to be most of the very bigger successful farmers, make it a lot more accessible to um, not so big farmers as well. Um, and also make the people who do this as well. It's like software. It's just quicker, easier, prettier, and just improving the system. And that's what our job is really, just to make what you do every day a lot easier and quicker and, and give you more insights into your business. Because farming is becoming bigger and more complex. We're all managing more hectares with more complexity and data coming at us from everywhere. So our job as a company is really to make sense of that. And that's how we see the future. Great stuff. And also for anyone look, looking to get in touch with or have a look at AgriMaster, where can they do so? Where can they follow you? Oh, look, just Google us at AgriMaster on, on Google. Um, so um, you, you'll always see us pop up there. So it's agrimaster.com.au um, and everything's there from our product to the Boots Off Logon podcast to support articles, um, heaps of free content. Um, so um, ebooks on budget. So what we're talking about today in budgeting, I've written a number of ebooks on budgeting process, like we talked about today, that steps you through everything I took today. So they're all free on the website. So you yeah, just go to agrimaster.com.au and all that content's there for you to consume. Even if you're not a customer, you can download all those budgeting ebooks, etc. 
Yeah, well, amazing, David. Thanks so much for coming on to Farms Advice and giving your own piece of expertise. I think it's pretty important to pass it around. Great. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Jacko. I really enjoyed it. This Farms Advice episode does not stop here. Come and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, and even join our Facebook group. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more on this episode and spread the hashtag Farms Advice to your mates. If you can leave a review on Apple or Spotify, that will let other farmers find us too. But until then, see you next Tuesday.